There's one question that I want to give you to wrestle with as we go throughout the story this morning. And I don't know if you take notes, but you could write down this question if you wanted to, or at least take a mental snapshot of it. And here's the question. Where have you been tempted to give up on God in your life? What are the places of your life where you've been tempted to give up on God? All of us, on some level, at some point, we've been tempted to bury God. There are these places in our hearts where we've rolled the stone over the heart, and it's like maybe God can do something in that part of my life, but I just don't think he will. Have you ever had like one of these moments where you have prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and the situation has only gotten worse? And then you get to this moment where you begin to believe that your, your prayers are pointless, that your faith is feeble, and you're just kind of like, I don't know what to do with this anymore. And here's one of the things that I love about Easter is Easter is an invitation not to come into a church building and to fake being happy around something that happened 2,000 years ago. The, the story of Easter is that we come together as the people of God and we open up our hearts to all of the places in which the stone has been rolled over our hearts, to all of the places where we been tempted to give up on God, to throw in the towel, to, to write off the marriage, to, to, to write off the person that's run away from their faith, to write off the prayers for healing in the life of our loved one. And Easter is this invitation to step all the way into the mess and to invite God to take us onto the journey so that we can hear the voice of the Lord uh, once again. I remember a few years ago, one of my good friends he was 28 years old at the time. He got a phone call from his parents, and the phone call was just kind of a normal phone call. They said, hey, your sister is not feeling well. She, his sister was 32 at the time, wife and a mother, a wonderful woman of God. He said, your sister's not feeling well. We're going to take her to the doctor, just be praying for her. And so he went to the doctor, and then uh, they admitted her to the hospital. It felt a little more serious, and one day became two, two became three. Three days became a week, and all of a sudden... Uh, a team of doctors shows up. And if you've ever been in the hospital with your loved ones, you know that when a team of doctors comes in and gathers around your room and shuts the door, you know that is not typically a good moment, right? So the doctors came in and they said, we can't exactly figure out what's going on, but we know it's quite serious and your sister is in a fight for her life. And then 19 days after my friend got the phone call that felt like nothing, he was standing in the room as his sister took her last breath. And some of you have been in those places, Right? where the prayers weren't answered, or at least they didn't feel like they were answered, where it didn't seem like God had been there, and they walk out of the room just overwhelmed with grief because the sister that they had wheeled in there would not walk out with them. And my friend tells a story like this. He says, we're standing in the hallway of that hospital, and we're seeing everything through the downpour of our, of our own tears. It's all we can see. And he said, I'll never forget my mom grabbing my dad's face in her hands, kind of big, grisly face, man much taller than her. She put uh, her hands on his face, and she said, can you remind me, what is it that we really believe? And his dad looked at their family, and he said four words that my friend will never forget. He says, the tomb is empty. That's what we believe. The tomb is empty. And my friend for the last four years has been wrestling with how do you live in the tension of celebrating the reality that Jesus' tomb is empty, but my sister's tomb is still full. Now, this is the tension that Easter invites us into, is that we are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. That we come in and we celebrate that 2,000 years ago Christ did something 
that changed the course of human history, and yet you and I still wake up on Monday mornings and we still face sin and sickness and death and heartache. We still watch our parents get divorced and remarried. We still see our dreams rise and fall. We still worry about the things, right? Because we are Easter people living in a Good Friday world, and the the story of Easter is not an invitation to ignore those tensions or to fake your way through those tensions. It's to allow Jesus to take hold of all of those tensions, wherever it is that you find yourself in the story, and to let him take us to the place that God has invited us to go. So this is the reason I like the story that we're looking at in Mark chapter 5 this morning, because it's not just a picture of Jesus being raised from the dead. It's this picture of the way that his resurrection power begins to meet us in all of the uncertain, all of the hopeless, all of the frustrating, doubt-filled, discouraging moments of the human story. And it's here that Easter begins to do its very best work. And so I want to invite you to open up Mark chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. And as we read through the story, I just want to invite you to find yourself in this story. Where are the places that you've been tempted to give up on God, to roll the, the stone over the tomb of your own heart? Mark chapter 5, verse 21, it starts like this. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was there. And then one of the synagogue leaders, one of the the pastors, the priest from their city, a man named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet and he pleaded with him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and will live. Now, I want to stop here for a moment. I want us to imagine the story. You know, so often when I read the Bible, it feels very one-dimensional, very black and white. I, I read the story of who God was then, what God did then, and I don't always stop to wrestle with what was happening. But I want you to picture this. Jesus has shown up into this city, and just like so often would happen, Jesus, this celebrity, is overwhelmed by the crowds. And so he starts to teach them and to heal them, to love them, to serve them. And so picture yourself in the crowd this morning. You're in this amphitheater. You're down uh, over at Riverfront, like looking over the dirty Cumberland, and it's packed with people, and bodies are everywhere, and Jesus is down front. This is the man that you have heard people talk about. This is the man that rumors have spread. This is the man that has healed the sick. This is the man that has fed the thousands, and now you're in the audience. And you're hanging on his every word, and in the midst of Jesus' sermon, you've been waiting forever to hear this man speak. Someone comes running in down front and this commotion begins to fall and you realize that the person that's come into the room is one of the most respected religious leaders of your city. It's your Billy Graham, it's your Beth Moore, it's your Francis Chan, whoever it is that you respect. He has run in, his name is Jairus, and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus and he begins to plead that Jesus would do what only Jesus could do. And you can imagine the commotion spreading through the room like the ripple after a rock has hit a pond. The the conversations are spreading through the amphitheater. What's going on? What's happening? What's the scene? I remember a few years ago, I was in this room in this very spot teaching. And this is obviously not a church building, right? This is a bar. It's a music venue. And so we uh, borrow this space from the guys that own it. And every now and then they'll have concerts on Sunday nights. And so this one particular Sunday, I was up here um, uh, preaching and they were setting up for a concert upstairs. They were loading stuff into the lobby. And one of the, the roadies, one of the crew members, fell off the porch and broke his leg. And 
So the crew didn't know that this was a church in here. They didn't know what was going on. They just knew there were a lot of people crammed in the room, kind of in the dark, looking this way, kind of weird, you know. So one of the crew members comes running in, just yelling, hey, are there any doctors in the room? And four doctors stood up, and I'm like, dang, I didn't know we had any doctors here. Why is our giving so bad? Anyways, you know, like, <laughs> doctor ran, in, like, ran out in the lobby and started working on this guy's leg. And this guy just starts yelling the F word over and over and over in the lobby. And I thought, welcome to Ethos. There you go. Um, and it's, it, it was this moment of confusion. What's going on? And, okay, do, do we keep giving the sermon? What's happening? I go, this is the scene. This is the scene that Jesus is teaching, this commotion is unfolding around him. But I want you to notice, it's not just any commotion. Jairus says, my daughter is dying. Can you come and help her? Now, this man is in an only Jesus moment. Have you ever had an only Jesus moment where, where you realize that only Jesus can bring hope, only Jesus can bring healing, only Jesus can fix the mess that I'm in right now? A guy that I look up to and respect very, very um, deeply a few years ago um, his daughter, she was eight years old at the time. She was in her fourth year of battling cancer. And they had tried everything they knew how to try. They had uh, seen all the doctors, and they had kind of run out of options. So they went overseas for six months to do some experimental treatment. And the, the treatment didn't work. And I remember them coming back, and a phrase that he used as he stood up before his church to teach, he said, just to let you know where we're at, we're in an only Jesus moment with our daughter. All of our eggs are in that basket. Only Jesus can heal her. Only Jesus can fix this. Only Jesus can turn around the course of what's going on. And have you ever been in one of those moments? Only Jesus. Only Jesus can fix this marriage. Only Jesus can take away this anxiety and depression. Only Jesus can resurrect this career. Only Jesus can fix my faith. Only Jesus, only Jesus, only Jesus. And the picture that you begin to see in the life of this man as he begins his resurrection journey is he is a man that is holding on to hope by a shoestring. And he comes to Jesus. And I love the way that Jesus responds. Look at verse 24. It says that Jesus went with him. It says that Jesus went with him. It's one of the coolest pictures of Christ, I think, in the entire New Testament. Jesus doesn't care about the crowd. He doesn't care about the sermon. He doesn't feel like he needs to get through the end of it. He realizes that there's one person in front of him who's absolutely desperate for a healing touch of God. And Jesus drops everything that he does. I just think about some of you this morning that you didn't come here expecting a miracle. You came here just because it's Easter Sunday. And this is what you do on Easter Sunday. But I go, there are some of you in this room right now, you are desperate for Easter Sunday to break into your life. And if nobody else is noticing the cries of your heart, Jesus Christ himself is. And I love this scene. Jesus stands up in the middle of the sermon. He takes Jairus in the midst of his pain, and they begin to go on this journey. They begin walking towards his house. And you have to imagine just the joy in Jairus' heart. He's going, this is my only option, and my only option is willing to play along. So they go, and the crowds begin to funnel out. Everyone wants to follow Jesus. They want to see what the commotion is about. And they find themselves in the midst of the worst traffic jam ever, the, the most untimely traffic jam. Just picture yourself in downtown Atlanta at rush hour. This is what begins to unfold in the story. Look at verse 34 or verse 24. It says, a large crowd followed Jesus and they pressed around him. And there was a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. So there's this woman in the midst of the traffic jam who has her own issues that she needs Jesus' help with. Verse 26, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She'd spent everything she had, yet instead of getting better, she got worse. 
And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd. She touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she is freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd, and he asked, who touched my clothes? And the disciples, they get kind of sarcastic, which I don't think is a very cool move. I don't want to get sarcastic with Jesus, the maker of all things, but that's what they do. Verse 31, they said, Jesus... You see people crowding all around you, and yet you ask us, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking until he saw who had done it, and then the woman, knowing what had happened, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. She told the whole truth. She said, and Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. I want to stop here for just a moment. We could have a whole other sermon about the compassion of Jesus that stops and notices this woman. It's an amazing picture here of her faith, of Jesus' compassion. There's a whole other sermon in the midst of this, but if this was a movie, pretend Mark chapter five is a movie and we're watching Jairus come into the crowd, the crowd being disrupted, Jesus responding to Jairus, them going to his house, them getting caught in the traffic jam. I want you to keep your eyes with me for just a moment on the face of Jairus in this story. Can you imagine what it would have been like for him Here he has a daughter who's getting ready to die any moment. He has Jesus, who is the only one who could potentially fix the issue in his life. And he is walking towards that moment. And they hit a traffic jam. And Jesus begins to deal with this other need. This would be like you jumping in an ambulance, rushing to your house where your dad is dying of a heart attack. And along the way, the paramedics stop in your neighborhood to help a kid that broke his ankle. And then the paramedics get out to have a conversation with the neighbors that have come to see, and you're sitting there going, listen, just imagine Jairus' feeling, like this woman had been sick for 12 years, and without being disrespectful, don't you know he was going, okay, what's the big deal if it's 30 more minutes? What's the big deal if you wait another hour, Jesus? Like, my daughter is gonna die any moment. Why do we have to stop the proverbial ambulance? Why do we have to stop the car? Why do you have to deal with this? Have you ever felt this before? Have you ever felt like Jesus was responding to all the resurrection needs of the people around you? But when it came to your story, you were still stuck in traffic and you couldn't seem to get his attention. You see this journey that Jairus is going on. His hope by a shoestring. He is Jesus, his only option. Jesus is the Hail Mary pass that he's thrown in hopes that they'll win the game. And they find themselves in traffic and then the moment comes that nobody ever wants to come. Look at this, verse 35. And it says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said, sir, your daughter is dead. Let the weight of this sit on you for a second. I know this is an old story about a guy that you don't know in a Bible that some of you don't even believe. But I want you to think about this for a second. This is a real man, a real historical moment, and this is the worst moment of his life. This is the greatest fear of every parent that your child will die on your watch and there was nothing you could do about it. Not only could Jairus not help his daughter, he wasn't even there when she took her last breath. And I go, can you imagine this is the moment when hope is crucified in this man's life? This is the moment where the ball hits the ground and the stadium realizes the hope is over. Like it, it is done. His daughter has died. He receives the news that he could never imagine. A friend that I was telling you about earlier, a few months after they came back to the States, his eight-year-old daughter on a Saturday morning, early in the morning, passed away in her house surrounded by our family. Just unbelievably tragic 
tough to get your heart around those kind of moments. I'll never forget reading a blog that his wife had written after the fact, and she was telling the story of what it was like to be in the room as her daughter passed away. And she told this one part of the story that I'll never forget. She said, I remember kissing her little lips for the last time as they were still hot with fever. And I went, man, can you imagine? Can you imagine the moment that Jairus feels? Hope is dead. Has your hope ever expired? Have you ever had one of those moments where you thought for sure the marriage was turning around and then you get served the papers? Or you have that moment where you think maybe my folks are getting back together only to find out that your dad just got remarried? Have you ever had one of those moments where you prayed and 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 you you thought your mom was getting better but she doesn't? or the addiction gets stronger, or the depression gets more overbearing, whatever it is. Have you had one of these moments where hope begins to evaporate? I go, this is the place. This is is where Jairus was. This this is the story. And I, I love it because it's here in this moment when hope has expired that two voices begin to enter his life. And I want you to pay attention because these voices are so powerful and they're so important. Look at this. Keep reading with me in verse 35. They said, your daughter is dead. Why bother Jesus anymore? That's the first voice you hear in the midst of the, the hopelessness. His friends come to him and say, why bother Jesus anymore? And have you ever had a why bother Jesus anymore moment? Have you ever had one of those moments where you go, man, Jesus could heal this, but Jesus probably isn't going to heal this? Has there ever been someone that you've quit praying for? Someone that you've quit calling? Something that you've quit hoping for? Something that you quit, there are those moments in our life where we begin to roll the stone over the entrances of our heart. They're the places where we even begin to believe that even God couldn't do his work here. And this is the, the picture. The voice begins to come in. Hey, hey, why bother the teacher anymore? Why pray? Your, your prayers are pointless. What's with your faith? It's, it's futile. It's feeble. Whatever it is. Why bother the teacher anymore? And it's in the midst of the hopelessness that the voices start coming into J.R.'s life. Why bother? Why bother? Why bother? And Jesus overhears them. Look at this. Verse 36. It says, overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, let's be honest for just a second, Okay. Let's be very real. Let's pretend we're not here on Easter Sunday. Can we just admit that Jesus' words to Jairus in his moment of pain feel a little bit like fortune cookie theology, bumper sticker hope? Like, have you ever had like real pain? Have you ever had one of those moments in your life where hope just begins to evaporate? And isn't it true the last thing you want is that woman at church to come up and say, just believe. I'm like, screw you. Seriously, I'm not trying to be funny. Have you felt that? Hey, it's all going to be better. The tomb is empty. Well, my tomb's not empty. My life doesn't feel better. Don't you know the words of Jesus here to Jairus probably felt a little hollow ringing around in the chambers of his heart. But here's the beauty. Jesus wasn't just offering pithy encouragement. Jesus knew that the words that he was speaking into Jairus' life were going to be backed up by the things that Jesus was getting ready to do. 
And there's this moment in the midst of the hopelessness where these two voices begin to crowd into his life. Hey, why bother Jesus anymore? And the words of Jesus, just believe. Why bother? Just believe. Why bother? Just believe. And Jairus has a decision to make as he finds himself in the midst of a very difficult resurrection journey. While I keep walking with the Lord, even when hope seems dead. So they keep walking to the house. Don't you know that this was the longest walk of Jairus' life? He had been down these streets many times. He had seen these vendors. He had seen these houses. He had seen these storefronts. But this time he is seeing them through the reflection of his own tears. Their lives felt normal, but his life felt like a mess. And he's walking back to the house with Jesus, knowing that when he gets there, he's going to find a daughter who has passed away. And this is how the story keeps going. Verse 37 says that from this point on, Jesus didn't let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John. And when they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to them, why all the commotion? The child is not dead, but asleep. And the people laughed at him. Let's just be real. Isn't this the most normal response? Jesus shows up and he says, no, she's not dead. And they're like, bro, you weren't even here. She is dead. The situation is too far gone. And the, the people begin to laugh. And I, I go, how many times have you laughed at the Lord? How many times have I laughed? I've laughed at the Lord lots of times. I don't even know, knowing that I'm laughing at the Lord. These, these moments where you, you throw in the towel. You roll the stone over. You go, that part of the story is done. That part of my life is done. That part of God's redemptive plan is done. This story is done. And Jesus says, no, it's not done. And the people laugh. But it keeps going, verse 40. Look at this. It says, so then Jesus put them out. It's the same word that's used all throughout the gospel of Mark when Jesus would cast out a demon. He'd, he'd, he'd push them out of the room. And I love this because Jesus knew that in a Good Friday world, we can never silence all the voices that are asking why bother and that are laughing at Jesus. He knew you can't always silence the voices. You can't silence the critics. You can't silence the hopeless. But you can make the decision that no longer can they take residence up in your house. And so Jesus pushes them out of the house because he knew what was needed for a miracle in this setting was hope. And I love the way the story keeps unfolding. Verse 41, it says, or verse 40 says, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them and they went into the place where the child was. And I go, this is the, the last part of the story. Jesus takes them face to face with their dead daughter. And you're gonna see this all throughout the gospel story is that before the moment of greatest breakthrough, before the moments of greatest light will always come the places of deepest pain and darkness. If you remember the first Easter Sunday that's told about in Mark chapter 16, the women were going to the tomb, not looking for a miracle, they were going to the tomb so they could mourn. They were going there expecting death, and what they found was something much different than that. And Jesus, in the midst of our resurrection journeys, keeps inviting us into the places of death so that we can see that without the help of God, this thing can't turn around. He lets us feel the death in the room so we can understand the joy that comes with resurrection power. And they find themselves in, in the room and the story keeps going. Spoiler alert, Jesus does something awesome. Verse 41, it says, He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and she began to walk around. She was 12 years old and at this they were completely astonished. And I go, don't you wish you could read this story again for the first time? 
Even those of you that have never read this story before, you probably knew that it was gonna end well because it's Easter Sunday and we're talking about the reality that God has conquered death. But can you imagine being in the room, the roller coaster of emotions that his family must have felt that day? A little bit of hope, to hope crucified, to discouragement and fear and frustration, to the voices of the crowd and the invitation of his savior, to standing in the room of death and it was there that the words and the power of Jesus began to break into the darkest moment of this man's life. And Jesus Christ woke his daughter up from death like a parent wakes their child up from an afternoon nap. And I go, don't you know, their life was never the same. That Monday morning when he went back to work, the problems that felt insurmountable no longer felt as insurmountable that the challenges of parenting no longer felt like they were challenges. He would see this reality that God, who had come in the flesh as Jesus Christ, could speak to death and death would listen. And when that is true, the story changes. And Easter is not about us gathering in a room in our sundresses and pastel shirts and eating food with our family, although those things are all wonderful and fine. Easter is this invitation to walk through the darkness, to stand at the tomb, to ask the question that the women did, who is going to roll away the stone that I can't move? And to ask the Lord to invite us into the places that his empty tomb declares have now forever been changed. See, the story of Easter is this declaration that his tomb is empty and that one day ours will be as well. But in the meantime, we've got to discover and we've got to figure out how do we as Easter people live in a Good Friday world? And I love the story that unfolds because Jesus invites this man on a journey. And I want you to notice this. What Jairus experienced in one day is what most of us experience in the course of a lifetime. He experienced the hope, the despair, the darkness, the frustration, and the resurrection, and he had it all in a couple of hours. But for a lot of us, each of those movements of his story represent sometimes weeks and months and years and decades. There are some of us that are already sitting in the room of death asking God to do what only God can do. And it still feels like hope has gone out, right? Some of us that are holding on by a shoestring, come on, God, come on, God, come on, God, come on, God. And the invitation of Easter is to understand that no matter where you are in the journey, Jesus is right there with you. I love this truth of the story is that Jesus was just as close to Jairus when he was full of hope as he was when he was full of despair. Jesus was just as much there when the room was full of death as when it was full of life. And the reality is that Jesus does not call us to an outcome. He calls us into a relationship that trusts him no matter how dark and how overwhelming the outcomes are. So in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your own resurrection journey, what voice will you choose to listen to? The voice that says, why bother the Lord anymore? Or the voice that says, get up. Don't be afraid, just believe. If you only hear one thing I say this morning, here's what I hope you hear. Don't ever, ever, 
ever, ever, ever give up on Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate comeback kid. The worse the story feels, the more poised he is for something spectacular. And some of you this morning, you need resurrection to break into your own life. You're like the girl that's laying on the bed. I love her story. She is laying there on the mattress. She is dead. She cannot resurrect herself. And all of a sudden, she hears a voice. And it's not the voice of her father or of a doctor or of her mother. She feels a touch. She sh- sees a face. And the first voice she hears, the first face she sees, the first touch she feels is that of her maker. This is going to be every one of your stories, those of you who are in Jesus Christ. You're going to go on the journey, hope, despair, crushing hopelessness, death. This is is what Jairus went on. This is what Jesus went on. We will all find ourselves in the room with the moments that are irreversible. But the invitation to listen to Jesus, even when you can't fix it, is what Easter keeps bringing us back to. And here's what I love. You see this over and over in the story. Even dead girls listen to Jesus. Jesus looks at her and says, hey, get up. And she's like, cool. <laughs> she's up. She like walks around the room. And I go, some of you, you're going to experience that this morning, here in this moment. Like, you're going to experience that just this morning. It's going to begin with spiritual resurrection. You, you came here because your family drug you here because the girl that invited you is hot, and we're glad you're here. But in a few moments, you're going to hear the voice of the Lord saying, get up. Get off your deathbed. Get off the mat. Can't save yourself. Can't figure. Get up. And some of you, some of you will hear an audible voice, maybe some of you will hear a voice in your spirit and it'll be the Lord beckoning you to himself saying, get up. Some of you don't need resurrection for yourself this morning. You need it desperately for somebody else. That dad that has gone astray, the spouse that you no longer see eye to eye with, the roommate that has turned their back on the Lord, the parent that's dying of cancer, whatever it is, there are some of you here this morning, you have come to the tomb because you need the resurrection power for somebody else. And oh, please hear me, don't give up. Don't give up, 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 don't give up. If Easter tells us anything, it's that you can never count Jesus out. And the darkest moments always come before the brightest dawn. Which voice will you believe as an Easter person in a Good Friday world? The voices say, why bother the Lord anymore? The voice says, don't be scared. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Just believe. Christ is risen. The tomb is empty. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if this is true, it changes everything. If it's not, our faith is foolishness. I want to invite you this morning to come all the way face to face with the tomb, the dead parts in your own life, and ask the Lord to reveal where is it that you need resurrection. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this place.